And so I'm so glad, I'm so glad to be here today with you. My name is Philip Causey. I am one of the student pastors here, and we have an opportunity to worship Jesus together um, as a congregation. So welcome those who are watching online. Welcome for those, if, you're, if anyone's out on the patio, what's up? Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite everyone to go ahead and stand to your feet. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Um, and as you stand to your feet, I'm gonna give you... Um, um, I'm, I, I'm gonna set up what's going on this morning. So um, if you have a, a student or a grandkid or a niece or a nephew that is not connected with us in our student ministries, Christy and I will be in the lobby right outside the, these doors right here, ready to connect with you, ready to meet you, ready to um, answer any questions about our student ministries that you may have. Um, and we want to connect with any student in this room that you don't go to youth group, you're not a part of a youth ministry, but you come here on Sunday morning, we wanna connect with you as well. So um, meet us outside, after this service out in the, the lobby. We would love to give you a breakfast burrito. Christy said she would like to smash in your face, parents. So uh, we would love to uh, meet you. We have donuts as well, but just to connect with you. But this morning, we have an opportunity to um, be led by our student ministries worship team. And so we, we have, um, what we're trying to do on Wednesday nights, church, is we're trying to build a culture of worship. And so um, we have an opportunity to be led by our students that have been giving their, their, their time, their attention to uh, practicing on Sundays to be ready for Wednesdays for our students. They've been practicing on Thursdays to get ready for us this morning. And so... Um, Allow yourself to be led by them this morning. Allow God to humble us this morning. And so as we prepare our hearts to worship the king, um, the reason why we worship is because Jesus is holy and Jesus is good and he's the one that is worthy. He's the one that has, has done what no one else could do. And so we come to him with expe expectation and we come with him with our breath and we come with him with, with thanksgiving and gratitude and, and praise. And so the Bible says, let everyone that has breath praise the Lord. And that's all of us in this room. And so let's, let's bow before the King right now in prayer and just let, let us all just welcome the Holy Spirit into, into this room this morning. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is what we ask the students to do. You may have never done this, but I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for a moment of concentration between you and the Lord. And I wanna ask you to, if you're able to, to lift up your hands or open them up by your side. This is a sign of surrender, a sign of, of God, I want you to put something in my hands this morning. Now, if you're holding a baby, don't, don't let that baby go. If you're holding a cup of coffee, don't let that thing go. But as we outwardly express our posture to the Lord this morning, the scriptures teach us that I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in my sanctuary. So that's why we're doing this this morning. So let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you're here. We, we acknowledge that you're in, you're in this place. We acknowledge that you're God and we are not. And so we, we worship you this morning, Jesus. Thank you for being the King of Kings. Thank you for being, being the Lord of Lords. And thank you for being worthy of our praise this morning. And so we turn our attention back to you. We give you our bodies as a living sacrifice, which should be pleasing to you. So let our worship this morning be a pleasing aroma to you. And Holy Spirit, as we worship you, let us fall to our face and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we thank you that you came. 
We thank you that you are coming again. We bless you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Right now, congregation, say that. We love you, Lord. Say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Let us worship.
one of my favorite things about a Wednesday night, a youth night, is um, when young people, there's so many young people in the room and, and they're getting to worship Jesus for the very first time and they don't know who Jesus is and they don't know who God is. They don't know about his mercy and his love or anything for them. And, and what happens is a lot of times they just start weeping during worship and they don't understand why, and I know why. I know because their brain doesn't know who God is, and their, and their will and their mind doesn't know who God is, but their spirit man all of a sudden for the first time comes to life during worship on a Wednesday night. And, and they can't help but cry, and they can't help but be moved. And that's one of my one of my favorite things. The other one of my favorite things about worship on a Wednesday night is when the band just gets a little bit quieter and you just hear all young people just singing out all together, all collectively, all quiet, you know, because their friends are on their right and their left and they're insecure because they're young, but they're all singing and it's so quiet and it's so beautiful. So church, I don't want us to ever um, neglect the fact that we get to come together and we actually know who God is and we know his mercy and we know his grace and we know what he's done for us. So I don't want us to ever take advantage of this time that we get to worship God, right? I don't want us to come in late. I don't want us to be on our phones. I don't want us to just have, have our posture of our heart not correct. So this next song is a quieter song. So I encourage you guys to sing out. I encourage you to listen to the faith, to the heart of the person, to the right or to the left, singing out to God that we know, that we serve, that we love. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we just come before you right now. And we take this opportunity, Lord, to focus on you, to give our lives to you, to reach out to you, to declare, Lord, that you are God. And Father, I just thank you this morning because as we look around church and we look around all across this building, Father, we realize that this is what the kingdom of God looks like. People of every age worshiping you and calling you Lord. And so Father, this morning as we worship together, as we listen to these voices, to these young people who are leading us, who are singing out that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus overcomes everything. That Father, this morning we know as we stand here together that you've got this, that you see us, that you love us, that you know what we walked in this room with. But what's more amazing every single day that we have breath, it doesn't matter what we walk in here with because we walk out of here with you. We walk out of here filled. We walk out of here knowing that Jesus is Lord. So Father, we give you this morning, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to hear all that you have for us as we become the people that you have created us to be. Transform us, Lord. Do not let this be as good as it gets. We thank you for being here this morning. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, as you're sitting down and you're looking around, and I mean, it is pretty incredible to see our youth not just come up here and not just to come up here and fill a duty or fill a slot for this morning but we are looking at people who are gifted in Romans 12 it says that God gifts us to preach to prophesy it doesn't say worship but I'm sure that is cuz I can't do any of that lead us in worship to lead other people everyone here this morning God sees you, he knows you, and he has gifted you to serve his kingdom, just like these young people. And I, I just want to encourage you this morning that as we look around, that we remember that we are here as a family and that every single person is important. And so this morning as we continue, and Pastor David's going to bring the message, I want to encourage you on a couple things. We have pizza with the pastor and before we do that, actually, you're supposed to take the offering, so we're going to do that first. So actually, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. I got really excited. So ushers can come forward, uh, and we're going to receive the tithes and offerings this morning. And as the baskets go around, I will tell you about pizza with the pastor. And so one of the things that we do here at New Life is we don't want you to just come on a weekend and sit in one of these chairs and then walk away and not be connected the rest of the week. Here at New Life, when we say you're a family, we're multi-generational, we want you to be connected. We do our best to provide opportunities for people to plug in, to know what New Life's all about, to hear Pastor David's heart at Pizza with the Pastor. And so if you haven't been to a Pizza with the Pastor, then join us this afternoon. It'll be after second service. It's right out here in the lobby. This is an opportunity to get to know other people who are here for the first time and who haven't been able to like hear Pastor David's heart and meet some of the staff of why we do what we do and why we are here to worship the Lord. And so join us for that. Another opportunity to connect is Bible studies are starting up this month. Somewhere in the middle of this month, they gave me a date, but I totally forgot. 
uh, you can join a Bible study. And I know a lot of times we talk about uh, women's Bible studies a lot, but there is men's Bible studies. And if you are here and you want to be a part of a Bible study, you want to go deeper. If you're a young person and you want to go deeper, connect with Christy and Phil out here. If you're an older person, whatever older means to you, it's never too old to learn. Okay, so all of us have an opportunity to connect, to grow further. And so this morning, what I want to invite you to do is just to take a deep breath, because I probably should. We're going to take in the word of the Lord. We're not just going to sit here and watch David, but we want to breathe in what God has for us. Breathe in the spirit, take in the word, and let it transform who we are. Amen. Well, good morning, New Life. So good to gather together with the people of God. Welcome to those joining us online. I'm guessing there's nobody on the patio, or maybe there is, and they've just got an umbrella out there, and that's good. And we are so glad to gather together. And I just want to echo what uh, has been said this morning. And, and I, I feel like as I was standing down there, I'm like, man, we are kicking the enemy in his teeth this morning. Because in a culture that is so divided generationally, we're in a culture where the younger generation sometimes look at the older generation and they just blow them off and like, boomer, right? Like, it happens. And the older generation looks at the younger generation and says, apathetic, right? Like, 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 they don't get it. We are one in Jesus, amen? And, and, I, and I told the students this morning, man, this was going to be like a sweet aroma to the Lord this morning because it is easier. Like, like you, those of, who have been at New Life for a really long time, you have heard me say this, but if you're brand new, you need to hear me say this. It is totally easier to go find a church where there are people who are just like you and look just like you. It is easier. Totally. It's easier to go find a church where they're going to sing the, the, the songs that your generation wants it's easier to go to find a place where, where everybody kind of talks kind of the same language and, and, and understands and thinks and sees the world like each other. But can I tell you something? It does not take the Holy Spirit to gather people like that. It requires the Holy Spirit to love one another and care for one another and bear with one another and encourage one another and have humility with one another. And so when we gather together and do that, God is glorified. When we gather together and do that, we look a whole lot more like the people who gather together and worship God around his throne throughout scripture. Amen? Amen. All right, now on to the real message. <laughs> oh, one more message, though. I, you guys got to help me out this one, all right? When you see my wife today, we have been married 23 years today. Amen? <laughs> and so I just need to honor her. Uh, she's put up with me for a really long time. And, uh, and you know what? That's one of the beauties, I think, of marriage is that you um, get to the point where you are fully you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the other person looks at you and, it, with the love of Jesus and says, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I care about you. And I know that marriage is messy, and I just want to just honor her and just thank, I am so thankful that God brought us together, and I'm thankful for his grace and his mercy and our relationship every single day. And uh, that's message number two. So now on to message number three. 
All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's in the Old Testament or the first half of the Bible. And uh, this is one of those books that some of you in your reading plan skip over. Um, or you get to and you're like, man, this is just a really weird book. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 1. If you find a way to Proverbs, which most of you are a lot more familiar with, go just a little bit further and you'll find that book of Ecclesiastes. And, uh, you know, when we come to the new year, there's New Year's expectations and there's things that we want to see happen in our lives. And so we develop words. Um, we develop resolutions. I have my word. My word this year is affections. Um, I, I want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is checking my affections. Where are my affections in life? And so I'm using that as a lens in order to just kind of take inventory of where my affections are. And is Jesus my, is he, does he receive my affection? right? Does he receive my worship? Does he receive, is he number one in my life? And so I, I want that word to, and so there's nothing wrong with those things. But what's interesting about the book of Ecclesiastes is it joins together um, kind of a, 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 a triad of books uh, within the Bible. We have the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. Some people throw in Song of Solomon in there, but these are the wisdom books. And those three um, of, of Job, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs, are kind of linked together, and, and I want you to imagine it this way. Uh, sometimes when we read the Bible, we're like, man, these, diff these two books are kind of in tension with one another. If you've read the New Testament, you're like, man, uh, Romans with its grace and James with its works, they're kind of in tension with one another, right? So you have these three books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, and it's imagine that there's three individuals and they're sitting down and they're having a cup of coffee and all are coming at life from a different perspective. And it's a little bit challenging because you're like, okay, who's right? And it's like, yes, they're all right uh, because they're all bringing a little bit different perspective. But it can be frustrating it's a little bit like if you're in a relationship, primarily, this is how things work. Uh, if you're in a relationship, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's a marriage, but this is how things tend to work. One of you in the relationship is the wow person, and one of you is the how person, right? One of you is like the dreamer, like, hey, this is how everything's going to go, and you've got these dreams, and it's wow, 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 and the other person's like, how are we going to do it? How are we going to afford it? How is it going to happen? How is it going to give me the plan of what's going to happen? The other person's like, I don't know, but this is just where we're going. How is it going to happen? I just gave some marriage advice to people, and you didn't even know it. Like, like, this, like so sometimes that's how things happen is that someone's a wow person and somebody's a how person. And when you come to the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs specifically, you have Proverbs who, let me, let me be very clear here. Proverbs are not promises. So many people have read the scriptures down throughout the, the years, and maybe you've done this, and you're like, man, I'm praying this proverb as a promise. It's not a promise. It's a proverb, more like an axiom, something that, that, that you can say, hey, this is good wisdom, right? So th th that's what Proverbs is. So Proverbs gives you this kind of um, vision for what life can look like, and it's kind of exciting, and, and it's like, yes, this is the wow of life. And Ecclesiastes comes along and throws a wet blanket on it. And you're like, really? I like to live in the wow. So if you're a wow person, you're going to hate these next couple weeks. I'm sorry. No, no. But, but I think we're going to lean into it. You're, you're going to learn actually that, man, there's so much hope in the book of Ecclesiastes. But if you're a how person, you're like, yep, that's how things are. 
Ecclesiastes is the Eeyore of the Bible. <laughs> right? Right? So, and if you don't know who, who Pooh and Eeyore and Rabbit are, I go look it up on Google. Yeah, you, but, but this is what we're getting ready to dive into. And so, so we're reminded, again, the book of Proverbs might say something like, you know, if you raise your children up in the ways of the Lord, that when they're old, that they will not depart from him. And you're like, yes, that is awesome, until it doesn't happen all the time like that. It's a proverb, not a promise. And Ecclesiastes comes along and says, it doesn't always work out exactly how we think it is going to. So my heartbeat today is that as we read through these first several verses of Ecclesiastes to give us a lens to understand the entire rest of the series as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you, again, if you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and we read these words. These are the words of the teacher, King's, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless. Yes, we love you, Ecclesiastes. Says the teacher, completely, in case you missed it the first time, completely meaningless. Now, let's break down a couple things. First of all, within this passage, you have the teacher or the preacher. In Hebrew, that word, the reason it's translated, uh, the original language in terms of Hebrew is translated teacher or preachers because the word used there is the one who gathers people. So they're like, all right, the one who gathers people in that context, a teacher or preacher, the one who gathers people. And then there's this second Hebrew word that's used, and then um, some uh, people translate this word hebel with a B, say B, because it's key, because um, you're going to Google this, and you're going to see both, and I, I need to be clear. Some people translate with a B, some people translate it with a V, as in victory, say V. So sometimes you'll see it hebel, sometimes you'll see it hevel. We're going to use the word hevel as the translation, mostly because we're going to point you to some resources on the Bible Project, which were really great if you want to do a reading plan through the Bible Project or read more about Ecclesiastes, and that's how they translate it there. So we're going to use hevel. Hevel is, is the word that's translated meaningless, which unfortunately is a really bad English translation because it doesn't mean it, uh, meaningless. Um, the word hevel actually is more properly translated smoke or vapor. So some of you have, uh, in your Bible, depending on what translation you're looking at, you have the word vanity or vanities in there. Like, you're so vain, right? Like, like that's, what, that's what your Bible says. That's how it's translated. But again, that doesn't really make sense in our culture because you're going, hold on, I have a context for what vanity means or vainness means, and that's not what the, the author, the teacher or preacher is talking about. Others of us in the NLT and others have the word meaningless. The problem with that is we, we hear that, we're like, oh, yeah, so just everything's meaningless, it's all just purposeless. It just has no meaning. Nope, that's actually not what the teacher or preacher is talking about. Hevel means smoke or vapor. Smoke or vapor. And this is vitally important because we need to kind of grab this concept because every time we hear this language, it's going to be repeated multiple times throughout this, this particular book. Every single time we hear it, we need to think smoke and vapor. And here's the concept that I want you to have, and you're all great Central Coasters, so um, I want you, you should be able to kind of identify with this. We have marine layer here, right? When you wake up in the morning, specifically towards kind of uh, May and June, you know that 
at some point around 10:30 or 11 o'clock, that marine layer that is so thick is going to disappear. It's going to burn off. Have you ever been some place, and I've done this before, where I've been like driving early in the morning uh, to Santa Barbara, or I've woken up. Have you ever noticed how quickly it evaporates once it decides to evaporate? Like, like within, I feel like seconds sometimes, it goes from like, I can't see one car in front of me to all of a sudden complete disappearance and clarity. And so that idea of smoke and vapor is so important because we see it, we know it's there, it's, there's substance there, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, it's gone. It's at this um, word, uh, hevel, is actually used 38 times in the, book of, in the short book of Ecclesiastes. And so what's challenging about that is if you are an achiever, if you are somebody who likes to kind of gain achievement, if you're someone who likes to say, hey, look what I've done, look what I've built, all this type of stuff, you need to know that Ecclesiastes is going to challenge you because it's going to say all of that is hevel, meaning it's smoke. It's there, but it can be gone really quickly. It's there, but it can also disappear really fast. So the question becomes, what is meaningless? And there's a couple things that throughout the, out the uh, book of Ecclesiastes that are going to be identified as meaningless. The first, the first area that you need to think about is that when something, we have this tendency to try to satisfy ourselves through both the not so good things in life, but also the good things in life. And the book of Ecclesiastes says the good things in life and the not-so-good things in life, they're both meaningless. They're both vapor. I can't get no satisfaction, right? Like uh, Rolling Stones, right? Like, like yes, like that, that is like our, so many people are like, hey, if I just have this, then I'll be satisfied. If I'll just have this, I'll be satisfied. If I, if I, and it's, again, some of us immediately go, oh yeah, they, they were, you know, we know the Rolling Stones history, right? Like, like they, they were trying to fill their life with maybe not so good stuff, all right? But we do sometimes the same thing. We just use good stuff. We're like, if I just have the job and if I just have the family and if I just have the kids and if I just have the right spouse and if I just have, and what we forget is it is it's all vapor. Because it doesn't bring us the satisfaction that, that we think it's going to bring. That next degree, that bigger bank account, the things in your life that you think are good things even are vapor. And the, the reason they're vapor is because when you start to lean on those things to satisfy you, they become the idol or the God in your life, not the gift from God. Think about it in terms of food. When you eat a really good, I'm going to take my wife out for dinner tonight, and we're going to go have a really good uh, anniversary meal. And when we do that, we're, I'm going to savor. I'm a foodie. I'm going to savor the bites, right? I'm going to eat slower than I did at officer training school because I've been eating way too fast recently. And, and I'm going to savor that bite. And I'm like, mmm. This is good, right? And I'm going to get done eating, and I'm going to go to bed tonight. And when I wake up tomorrow, guess what I'm going to be? 
hungry. Or at least by noon, because you know this whole intermittent fasting thing, right? At least by noon, I'm going to be hungry. And if I don't eat by noon, guess what? By 5 o'clock, I'm going to be really hungry. And the reason is because as good as that meal was, it will not satisfy me long term. And some of us have images in our mind of really good things in life that, we, that are actually gifts from God. Marriage is a gift from God, but Dana was never meant, she was never meant to be my God, right? Education is really good, but it was never meant to be your God. Money can be used. Money is a great servant, as we'll even talk about a little bit in a different way next week, but you've heard me say before. Money is a great servant. It's a horrible master. And so we have to recognize that even good things in life, good gifts that God meant to be a gift to you, when they are taken out of the context as being a gift from God, become an idol, become the God that we are chasing. And so the second thing that this idea of vapor has, and some of you will relate to this, is that just about the time you think you have life figured out, you realize you don't. Just about the time that you think, in fact, a good test of whether or not you actually have life figured out is if you think you do, you don't. Like, think about it for a moment. Things just don't make sense. Why? Because they're vapor. Going back to that proverb that I quoted earlier. Some of you are incredible parents who raised your kids to know and to love God, and for whatever reason... Your child is wandering. It's not because you didn't try. It's not because you didn't teach them the word of God. It's not because of any of that stuff. And you're like, man, God, I did everything the right way. And it still didn't turn out. It's vapor. It just, it didn't work out like I thought it was going to work out. Some of you did everything that you could. And you hear me talk about being married for 23 years. You're like, you know what, pastor? I did everything that I could in that relationship to try to make it work. And it did not work out. And I get it. Sometimes we try and we put all the effort into it and it just doesn't work. And some of you, you know, here we are as a a nation, really being a part of the, the healing journey of Damar Hamlin, right? And, 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 we, and the nation's praying, and you watch, like, signs of healing taking place in this young man's life, and people celebrate it. But I guarantee that some people, when they see that, there's a little bit of angst in them because they're like, but I prayed for my loved one. I prayed for this person, and they still got cancer. I prayed for this person, and they still passed away. God, why this doesn't make sense? And this is one of the reasons that I believe that we can can trust the holy word of God because it's, it's true in real life. See, Ecclesiastes comes along and says, this is what life can feel like sometimes, that you think you got it figured out and you think you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's and you think that you've done it exactly how it was supposed to be done and it still doesn't always work out like we thought it would. Sometimes bad things happen to really, really good people. And it's vapor. Because we can't figure it out. And the third thing, so if we're thinking about lenses as you, can, as you read this, the third area is this. 
you and me are all going to die. Whew, happy New Year. <laughs> right? Like, 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 like I, I'm sorry. Like, like, I don't know why the Holy Spirit led me to this particular book at this particular time, but I think he has something for us. So, so in life, you will never satisfy yourself with the things of this world. In life, you think you have it figured out until you don't. And in life, you're going to die. Which is why the author, the teacher, the preacher of this book says everything is hevel, vapor. Now, here's what you have to imagine. This is not some, some person who has not experienced life, who is coming along, who just took, you know, philosophy 101 in their first year of college, and they come home, and they're like, I have the world figured out. No, this is a... This is an old person sitting in their rocking chair with their pipe. I don't know if we can say that in church, but with their pipe <laughs> and their cup of coffee or whatever drink you think they have. And they begin to talk about life and what they've seen and experienced. And they're reminded there's so many things that are vapor. They're here one moment, and they're gone the next. See, some of you know this because, like, you remember that season when your kids were young, and then it's vapor. You remember that season where the kids were in your house, and then it's vapor. You remember that job that you had, and then the company went a different direction, and it's vapor. You remember the stock market, and now it's vapor. <laughs> I hit home on that one. <laughs> Right? Like, like, you, like you remember, and so this, this wise person is speaking back to the generation coming in and saying, hey, yeah, yeah, don't place your life in the hands of these other things. Don't make these things your God because they are vapor. They're not meaningless, though. They can actually bring really good gifts into our lives. So they're not meaningless as if they don't matter. They just are not God. They're not an idol. They're not going to save you. They're not going to be your source of joy. Verse 3. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? A second phrase you might want to underline. So you have that phrase meaningless or vapor. Under the sun is another phrase that's going to be used multiple times throughout this passage. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And this is where in your Bible reading you plan to go like, what's the next book that I can get to? <laughs> like the gospels sound really good right now, right? So again, under the sun. And the teacher or the preacher is saying, if you factor God out of the equation, everything under the sun that you try to put your hope and your trust and your affections in, everything under the sun that you try to get to satisfy you, wasn't meant for that. 
and me on my own. Here's the, here's the fallacy that our culture teaches, that you on your own, that you can fix yourself. I mean, think about it. We are a culture who are making New Year's Eve resolutions. Why? Because we think we can fix ourselves. Now, are those bad things to do? Nope. Are they evil things to do? Nope. They're just not God. They're not the supernatural power of God. They're not, they're not where our worship is centered on. And so the teacher helps us in so many ways. The book of Ecclesiastes is so key in a, in a culture where, quite honestly, we have the resource, many of us have the resources to try to fix things. And we have the, um, we have the knowledge or we can get access to the knowledge to try to be better right? Self-help. You go, you go look at the self-help. You've got Audible or you're, you're like, hey, I'm going to read 12 books. I guarantee, man, like half the things that people, um, that people are writing right now are self-help type books. So like we have access to stuff that is like, hey, I can do this. I can fix this. If I just get the right stuff, if I just have the right axiom, Proverbs, if I just do the right thing, then, ah, man, I can fix myself. Ecclesiastes comes along and says, nope, you can't. Therefore, Ecclesiastes is saying, long for God to move in your life. What a gift. In a world that says, hey, no, 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 you can do this without God, Ecclesiastes comes along and says, no, 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 you need to long, you need to be on your face in worship. You need to long for God's movement in your life. You need to be desperate for God. You need to be hungry for God. See, some of us have gone into 2023 being hungry to be more physically fit or being hungry for a better marriage, or being hungry for more wealth, or being hungry for a promotion. And so we've developed all these things to try to move us in a direction to, to satisfy that hunger. And Ecclesiastes comes along and says, all of those things you're hungry for, they're vapor. Long for God. Long for God. Hunger and thirst for God. Worship God. Surrender to God and allow him to order your steps. Ecclesiastes, even though it's in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, makes us long for the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's only in Jesus and through Jesus that I can be fully alive. Verse 9. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here, here is something new. But actually, it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past. Now, some of that, I can tell you, as I've gotten older, I don't remember hardly anything. <laughs> and in future generations... No one will remember what we are doing now. What? <laughs> Nothing new. Wash, rinse, repeat. History is cyclical is what the preacher and teacher is reminding us. So there's nothing really new. You want to know how cyclical history is? I could literally pull out my outfits from 1994 when I was in high school and I am in style right now. <laughs> literally. 
the number of flannels, the number of jeans, the number of graphic tees that I had, the number of things that I had that was being worn right now. And I didn't realize that when we started wearing bell bottoms, my parents said, hey, we used to wear that. I'm like, no, they weren't like these. Yes, they were just like those. <laughs> it's cyclical. There is nothing new under the sun. And this is a vitally important thing for us to, to realize because so many of us are so proud of what we build. It becomes an idol to us. Look what I've created. Look what I've built. Look at what I've organized. Look at what I've done. Guess what? Someone's already done it. Someone somewhere. Now, I'm like, well, no, 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 no. Yes, somebody's already done it. Oh, but we develop new technology all the time. We, we're always constantly developing new stuff. Yeah, but it's for the same old problems. We talk to each other on our, on our phones today, and we can see each other. That's a communication problem. So all that we're solving for is the same old problems. And even some of the most famous inventors who... who who we value their technology, some of us can't even remember who they are. And you're like, oh, how could they not remember? How could they not remember Henry Ford? I guarantee there are people at a particular age and under who are like, Henry who? But there's some of you who are like Leon, Elon Musk who? Right? They're always being replaced by somebody who's doing it bigger and better. It's something that I've had to learn as a pastor. Do you know that I, the, this was a game shift for me as a pastor? That I learned that I, I steward this role for a season. I steward this role for a season. I steward the role of pastor for a season. I don't know. It's vapor. I don't know how long the season's going to be. I steward it for a season. See, so many of us th think that we built something and it's like going to last. Nope. It's not. It's actually, as I inch closer and closer to one day retiring and I listen, because this is where we learn wisdom from the older generation, as I listen to people who are retiring, one of the things that you struggle with the most, and that I'm like, God, how do I, because it's natural to struggle with this. I don't know how you don't struggle with it, but the thing that you created, somebody comes along behind you and tears it down and builds something else. And you're like, hold on a second, I spent 40 years building that vapor vapor so if that was your god forgive us lord forgive us because it was never meant to be your god you were given you were given opportunity and dominion to steward something. God made you as a creator and a builder, but it wasn't so it would last forever, so you could partner with him. You're part of the cast. I'm part of the cast of God's story. He's not part of my story. I'm a cast member in his story. When I was in high school, I went to a really cool high school. I wish more schools were like this. I got to do theater, and I got to do sports, and it was totally okay. <laughs> like, 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 I loved it. I loved that I got to do both. But when it came to the theater side of things, I, I wasn't really that good. So all these people, when we would get, like, callbacks or they would come out with the cash 
cast sheet for like the particular musical or play, they would all run up there and they would look for themselves in like the top like five or six parts. I never did that. I went to the bottom and I'm like, am I like singer number 12? Because that's how they listed it out. They didn't even give you a name. Like, it was like, this person was this name and that name and that name. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm singer number 12. Look at me. That's who we are in God's story. That's what Ecclesiastes is coming along to remind us of. Because sometimes we get too big for our britches and we're like, hey, I'm really good. I'm really talented. Look what I've built. Ecclesiastes comes along and says, no, you're singer number 12. Number 12. Why? Because you don't get to get the glory for what God's doing in his creation. It is God who gets to get the glory in this. And so my 70 years here are short and they're vapor. So I got to ask myself, like, if they're short and they're vapor, how am I going to lean into? How am I going to lean into and make those 70 years matter, but also recognize that they're vapor, right? Ooh, that's weird. Like, like that's the tension that Ecclesiastes wants us to feel. Like, you're going to give yourself to things, but put it in its right place. You're going to give yourself to your marriage, and you're going to give yourself to your family. You're going to give yourself to your work. You're going to give yourself to your creativity, and it's good because they're gifts from God, but they're also vapor. They're also vapor. And so don't place too much trust in them or hope in them because the only one that is worthy of your hope and your trust is God himself. In fact, kind of another framework you'll see throughout this book is that we are merely travelers, strangers, misfits in this world. Have you ever felt like you just don't fit in culture, in this world? It's because if you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior and God, and your life is about God and glorifying him and you're a cast member in his story, the reason you feel like a stranger, the reason you feel weird, the reason you feel like a traveler is because everybody else is trying to make a name for themselves. Younger generation that are here. It is not bad to have dreams and visions of developing some type of influencer. I don't even know what they're called. Influencers. That shows my age right there. But when you think it's all about you, this is the danger. When you think it's all about, life is all about you, then we can... Forget that we're glorifying God and that we're simply a cast member. We're not the influencer. He's the influencer. We're a cast member in what he's doing in this world. And for the older generation that looks at the younger generation, like, why would you want to go on? Why are people listening to these influencers? Well, when you were CEO or you came up with the next big idea for your company, everybody celebrated you and it was really easy for you to go, look how good I am. Then along comes the next person who's the rising star. And Ecclesiastes says, don't, don't fret. Don't be intimidated. If, it, if what you did was held in the right place, it's, it's vapor. 
And guess what? That might be vapor, but God still is there. He's still your foundation. He's still holding you up. And so we got to, there's a phrase that coaches that I've played under down throughout history, and I've even talked to my kids this, have used, and, and I think this is what I think Ecclesiastes is, is asking us to think about. Like, how do I go through life understanding it's vapor, but how do I leave it all on the field? Like, how do I go through life and I'm like, man, I, I'm not going to go into this timid I'm not going to go into this shyly. I'm literally going to embrace each moment as if it might be my last. Why? Because Ecclesiastes said I'm going to die and it might be my last. God spoke to us and said, don't, don't think you can just rest in a season. Some of you have been resting in a season, kicking your legs up, going, oh, I got all the time in the world. Ecclesiastes says, nope, you don't. You don't know when it's going to turn to vapor. So leave it all on the field right now. Don't hope that you can do it 10 years from now. Don't hope that you can do it 20 years from now. Leave it on the field right now. So when you get to that next season, you're like, man, that was an awesome season. Look at the vapor. Okay, God, what do you got for me now? What do you got for me next? What, what, what do you want to do, God? I, I, I know that that season was awesome. It was good. Some of us, this is one of the biggest challenges I see in the church world, but in culture right now, as people are looking, I just want my life that I had 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago. I want that life. And Ecclesiastes says, no, that life was vapor. Guess what? God's got something new for you, but you got to be present to receive it. You got to be present to receive what God has for you. And so Ecclesiastes teaches us to do something really weird, to learn to live backwards, to live backwards. And rather than being scared of vapor, hevel, to embrace it, to embrace it. And this is the way we embrace it. There are things that will always be outside of our control. But God is always in control. So where am I going to place my trust? There will always be things outside of your control. The diagnosis will always come. Somebody will always, you will put energy into your relationship and they will not respond to you or love you back the way that they should. There are always things outside of your control. And what's crazy is, again, rocking chair, pipe guy. Most people don't learn this until they're old. So young people, get this early. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Second thing, you will die, and even good things are vapor. That's how we live. You start from the end. I'm going to die. That means I better, I better be fully, I better attempt to be fully present as much as I can right now. Because I don't know when that day will be. I've got, I've got kids. Be fully present because it's vapor. I've got teenagers and they're really difficult sometimes. I got young adults, they're difficult in a relationship. 
embrace it. Live into that moment because it's vapor. We've got 23 years of marriage. Embrace it because you don't know how long till one of you gets sick or passes away. I thought we had 20 more. Nope. You're not guaranteed that. Embrace what you have right now. Lean into it. I've got this job, and the money's coming in, and everything's great. Embrace it, because it's vapor. I get to be a part of a really cool project at work. Embrace it, because somebody younger who has more degrees, the company's going to look at and say, oh, look, they're coming up. I still got a lot to give. Vapor. See, Ecclesiastes isn't a message of depressing. It's a message of hope. It's a message that live into this particular moment right now and soak the nectar out of the gifts that God has given you right now. Don't miss this moment. And learn to trust God. Learn to trust God giving you the bookend, and I really encourage you to read through Ecclesiastes with this lens. Chapter 12, verses 13 through 14 says this. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Fear God. And that's not like cower in fear. It is like glorify, honor, revere, place God in his rightful place. Fear God. Obey his commands. Walk in his ways. When it works out great, like, a pro- like Proverbs tells it's going to work out, awesome. Yes, fantastic. When it looks more like Job, I've done everything right. And yet my life feels like it's falling apart. He says, you're not responsible for the outcomes. You're responsible to fear God and walk in his ways or obey his commandments. That is living life backwards. That is backwards living. And it is life giving. So here's what I want you to do this week. In the midst of writing and trying to figure out and solidifying your word, in the midst of trying to Live up to those New Year's resolutions, which what, what, when, it's the 8th. I should know. It's my anniversary. It's the 8th. <laughs> Some of you have already messed up those resolutions. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. It doesn't have to be long. It can maybe be short sentences. I want you to consider. Write your eulogy this week. Resolution sounds so much better. <laughs> but, but that's what culture says is important. When you write your eulogy and you begin to live your life backwards, you begin with the end in mind. And you begin asking yourself, God, when I am in those final moments, taking those final breaths, Will my life have glorified you? 
Well, I have placed my trust, I have built idols that weren't worth my time and energy. Or will my life, will my life have eternal significance? Will I, will you look at me and you'll go, ha. Singer number 12. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get to be a part of what you're doing in this world. That we get to live into your story. And so God, I just ask that you would just shape us further into your image so that we might live fully alive in you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Patio time has been kind of transferred into lobby time. I know it'll be tight if you're an introvert and you don't want to be tight. That's all right. You can head home today. You don't have to stick around. But if you need some people time, we'd love to hug you to let you know how you can be more a part of what God is doing here at New Life. As you go, may you go to be a part of God's story. May you go and live your life backwards. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace. We'll see you next week.